This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. This is Dave Eggert with Cranes Detroit Business. I'm here today at the Mackinac Policy Conference with Jeff Donofrio, the President and CEO of Business Leaders for Michigan. Thanks, Jeff, for joining us. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's a beautiful day on Mackinac Island. Yes, yes, for sure. I appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, at first, you know, just as the conference gets underway, I was hoping you could maybe talk a little bit about uh, the Business Leaders for Michigan's Compete to Win plan and um, what, what you hope to achieve with that. Sure. Uh, you know, one, it's it's just fantastic to be back on the island and the regular schedule of the Mackinac Policy Conference. So it's good to be back to some sense of normalcy here. And, uh, you know, we issued our Compete to Win plan uh, just last week. Um, it, uh, it's a plan for the state of Michigan. We've been doing this since 2009 uh, that talks about how do we become a top state? How do we go from where we were back in 2009 from 49th uh, among states, so really bottom of the barrel, um, to where we are today, which is 29th? And then how do we get from 29th to the top? Um, now, getting from the bottom to middle was hard, and there was a lot of work that went along with that. Uh, a lot of the reforms and, and uh, tax policies and uh, you know, getting the business environment right so that investment was going to be coming to Michigan, so that jobs are going to be coming to Michigan. Today, when we see where Michigan ranks, um, we've made so much progress, but there's still a lot of challenges. We're 41st for labor force participation. We're 34th. Uh, in terms of the number of residents with a post-secondary degree, the amount of education in our state. And so when we look at the challenges that we have, uh, including things like the disruptions of EV and AV transitions in the automotive industry and inflation and supply chain disruptions that continue from COVID, we see that there are four areas that Michigan really needs to focus on. The first is really doing better by our kids. Uh, so we've got to do right by our kids in that we need to make sure that the K-12 system is top performing. It's preparing them for the jobs that are going to be here today and in the future. It's helping them really obtain any bit of opportunity that's out there and available to them. It's helping them reach their full potential. And there's a lot that can be done today with especially one-time money, right? We're in this unique place where we've got lots of budget surpluses and we have dollars from the federal government that can help accelerate that work. But also we have to look at that real systemic change because what we know is that Michigan is 39th in third grade reading. We're 33rd in eighth grade math. We're 41st in graduation rates. And when you look at where Michiganders think uh, their system rates right now, they think it's average, when what we know is that it's very much below average. So we've got to concentrate on that if we want to have a, a strong future. The second issue is really investing in our people, trying to make sure that we're helping individuals get into the workforce, progress in a career, and that means removing barriers. It means getting people's skills. We did a survey of our membership just recently and asked, how many were thinking that uh, they were going to have a tr trouble hiring in the next 6 to 12 months? 87% said they would likely have uh, issues finding talent. And the reasons they're having issues is talent availability, and it's also uh, the skills gap that we see out there. So really focusing on how to close that skills gap, how to get more people into the workforce, more people moving to Michigan. Third thing is really making sure we accelerate our economy. So we see that through the EV transition, through many of the, the issues that we've gone through the last two years, Michigan's economy has, has struggled to compete. 
making sure that we uh, you know, don't see uh, more investment going to the south, uh, to places like Kentucky and Tennessee, where you know, uh, it may have been traditional Michigan industries. That's something we've got to make sure uh, that we have a plan around. Uh, and that really, are, there's four areas that I would say uh, our board has prioritized. The first is uh, in competitive incentives, making sure that we have the right incentives and tools in place. But incentives aren't going to win you the project. They just get you across the finish line. You've got to be close. So you need to have sites ready, shovel-ready sites that are, have been invested in, that have infrastructure. That's what we continuously hear of why many of these projects are going to the south. It's because of those shovel-ready sites. We need to make sure we have good customer service at MEDC and our local economic development agencies, that it's a seamless effort when a company wants to come in and uh, bring jobs and investment. And then finally, we've got to make sure we have the right talent available uh, at the, uh, the right skill set uh, that uh, folks are looking for. The final thing we have to do is get the fundamentals right. So we have to make sure that our business climate uh, is strong. We have a good uh, competitive tax rate. We have a good regulatory environment. We have to be a welcoming state that invites people in from uh, immigration, from other states, uh, and that we are protecting people in the workplace, particularly you know, as we talk about LGBTQ rights and many of the workplace protections that are missing in Michigan. You mentioned the uh, workforce participation rate and that Michigan ranks pretty low. Um, why is that? Uh, and secondly, how can, how can Michigan turn that around? Um, we do have, a, I believe, a, an aging state we do older than other states yeah so we're 41st in workforce participation and we're 44th in the growth rate of our workforce participation rate so we're going to struggle even to say 41st if we're 44th in growth what we look at the data and we see is that um you know michigan you're right is an aging state and by 2030 we're going to lose another hundred thousand people out of the workforce because of folks aging out of the system so it's not just a concern today it's going to be a concern for us in the future as well 190,000 women left the workforce during COVID that still have not returned. We're actually, uh, we saw that uh, more women left the workforce here in Michigan than even our Great Lakes peers, which have similar, uh, you know, age and, and demographics uh, in the workforce. And so the question is, what could we do to help more women, more families and parents um, be able to get back into, uh, into the workforce? Childcare is probably one of those options. Uh, we need to find affordable, uh, quality child care options. We need to remove barriers like, uh, you know, some people aren't able to afford an education. Um, so how do you give tuition assistance? How do you give transportation support? How do you make sure that you're uh, removing um, any life barrier that might get in the way of someone entering back into the workforce or progressing in a career if they're, uh, you know, stuck somehow because, uh, you know, they don't have that affordable child care or they don't have that stable transportation? Is it... Um in terms of women leaving the workforce, uh, is there any ind indication why that maybe has happened more in Michigan than some other nearby states? Well, it definitely ha happened everywhere. So when we, we look at um, data across the country and data here in Michigan, um, men and women with uh, without kids, women actually stayed in the workforce at a higher rate than men. But men and women with kids under five, women left the workforce at three times the rate. Uh, so it, it is clear that child care and I think elder care too is is a, a big issue to get women in the workforce to help them progress in a career um, and I, I think when you look at um, some of the systems that are in place right now um, the question we have to ask is are the availability of workers and uh, entrepreneurs in the child care system enough to create the capacity so that women can actually have and, and parents can have the child care options that they need um, 
I think that has been one of the biggest problems is we've not just had a talent shortage across the state, but there's been a specific talent shortage in the childcare industry. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, investing money um, to kind of, you know, help to help the state compete. Obviously, there are big budget tax negotiations going on right now. Have you, uh, has business leaders from Michigan weighed in specifically? Is there anything you really want to see accomplished in the next month um, that, you know, top three things that you really feel like a legislator and governor could do? right now to turn things around just three come on i mean there's like 10 billion dollars out there to be spent you can do more than three okay <laughs> no i i think this is a unique moment in our history where we have both challenges but then the resources to be able to start taking on these challenges tackling them and really accelerating our path towards becoming a, a more competitive state so in education for instance um, what could we do today to invest uh, that would provide benefits for decades could we do some um, back office efficiencies so does every school district need to have their own IT system do they all have to have their own uh, transportation systems or can we combine some of those and really put more money into the classroom because of that. We've done a study that says there's up to $750 million worth of savings on an annual basis um, if we started combining those back offices. And right now, we could take some of those dollars and actually put it into helping make that transition easier because there's always cost to doing that, uh, those efficiencies and that consolidation. Um, I think if you look at uh, the teacher shortage that we have, um, how do you get more people into the teaching profession? How do you close that gap? Because so many are leaving, um, and COVID has just made it that much worse. So those are two issues, I think, in education. I think when you look at um, economic development, it's site preparation. Um, we have got to get these shovel-ready sites uh, in place as quickly as possible. Um, I, you know, you look at some of the investments that have been made from the auto industry in, in recent months, and so many of them have cited the fact that, uh, you know, hey, I had a shovel-ready site in Indiana or I had a shovel-ready site in Ohio or Kentucky. Um, we haven't invested in that same way in Michigan. So we've got to really make up for lost ground. Um, and site selectors who are doing this work with employers to say, here's where we're going to put the next investment, they say it's, it's not a, something that sets you apart anymore to do this, this site preparation. It's something that's expected. So we've really got to um, double down on that. I think when you look at investing in people, you know, we've put out um, a recommendation for more than a billion dollars going into programs that help close the skills gap, that help uh, try to attract people and retain people here in Michigan. You know, trying to get uh, programs like the Reconnect that helps anybody over the age of 25 who doesn't have a degree be able to go to college tuition free, um, doubling down on that. The Going Pro program, which um, has been phenomenally successful over the years, which takes people who aren't yet ready for a job necessarily, but gets them the training to uh, come into that new job uh, with an employer uh, or helps an individual actually progress in their career by getting a new certification or degree uh, and move along a career pathway. Really successful. And then we're also looking at an internship program um, that says, you know, when you have and give person a, an internship who are in college here in Michigan, either from who are native homegrown individuals or from out of state, it's much more likely they will stay in the state, they will stay in the community that they did, did that internship in. So how can we encourage more of these programs to, to come about? This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Um. You mentioned the reconnect, uh, going pro, some of those programs. I, I believe there's a proposal, and I was curious where BLM comes down on this uh, from the state senate. That's more of a just a broad-based 
uh, college scholarship program for many high school grads. Is that something you would support, or do you feel feel like some of that money may may go to may not ad- directly address uh, some of Michigan's challenges? So uh, when you look at where Michigan ranks from a post-secondary education standpoint, we're in the mid 30s. But when you look at the details of, of who's growing and who's surpassed us, you know, we used to think of ourselves as more educated than the South, that we could provide more quality talent. Uh, and 10 years ago, that was the case. Um, we were higher than most Southern states. Today, that's not. Georgia, Kentucky have surpassed us with more percentage of residents with college degrees in Michigan. Um, to Tennessee is right on our heels because they put those types of programs that you're talking about in place those scholarship and tuition programs to four-year universities, to two-year institutions, for high-quality certificates and apprenticeships, it's really not uh, you know, an or, it's an and. So it's all of the above are needed to really get us to a place where Michigan can compete in the future. You mentioned the site selection and how Michigan needs to get in the game there. The, the, the state did pass uh, a fund that is designed to help prepare sites? I mean, do do you feel like that was uh, a big enough step or does more need to be done um, from whether it's a state government spending uh, side of things or just uh, the state, the kind of the regulatory side to get these sites prepared for expansions? So I think the the SOAR fund that was put in place in December with a billion dollars that was funded was was a great step. It showed bipartisanship in in its uh, you know, in working together between the governor and the legislature, between business and uh, the community to try to figure out how we could bridge the gaps around incentives and on, on site preparation. That, that was a great first investment, but what we have struggled with in the state is persistence. So when we create a strategy like uh, investing in sites and we say this is what we need to be doing, we put a big investment in there, but what happens when it runs out? Um, right now, it's not enough. Uh, more than half of that uh, fund has already uh, been depleted uh, through the creation of jobs and, and bringing in new investments. If we're going to do this right, we have to have 10 and 20 and 30 years worth of persistence towards investing in sites and getting them ready and having them available. That's what happened uh, in Tennessee and in Kentucky. In Tennessee, they started investing in the Blue Oval site that Ford uh, ultimately put its largest investments in its company's history in 20 years ago. So we have to really play the long game here, and that's not been something that we've been good at because a lot of times our strategies, especially in economic development, they don't outlast political terms of office. They don't outlast um, a legislature turning over uh, or a new leader at MEDC. We've got to have that strength and persistence. Are you concerned that there is so much money now that's come into the state uh, in the last couple of years and, and projected out into at least next year as well? Um, there's already talk of fairly big tax cuts. Are you concerned that uh, tax cuts initiated by the governor and the legislature will hurt your groups, uh, you know, kind of what you're focusing on and the ability to invest in, in these priorities? You know, having a competitive tax climate is really important to Michigan. And right now we're ranked 14th in the country. So we're, we're not too bad. Um, so when we have this surplus of money, we should definitely consider, do we have the right tax rate? Is it, uh, is it appropriate for us to, to reorient where, where taxes are? I think what is important for us to look at today 
and, and what I hear, you know, the state treasurer and, and others who are doing these forecasts of revenue and economic growth in the future, they can't really project past a couple of years because our behavior changed uh, in terms of spending and where taxes were generated so, so, uh, so greatly during COVID. Um, so that's what's causing these surpluses. That's what's causing a lot of the dollars to come in. It's a one-time uh, surplus or windfall that we have. So how do we make sure we're not, one, going off a fiscal cliff in you know, a couple of years when the economy shifts, when behavior shifts, and when that money is not available to us? If we've based tax cuts off of one-time money, that's not sound policy. Now, the second thing is that we have underinvested in so many areas over the last few decades. Infrastructure. I mean, how many of us went through construction coming up here to Mackinac and hit a pothole? I know I did. Um, you know, we've underinvested in education, in workforce uh, development, in the, in the adult space. We've underinvested in our, you know, in so many different uh, ways in, in business creation and economic development. So we've got to really overcome the underinvestment or the disinvestment that we've had over the last couple of decades because other states have not been waiting around for Michigan to catch up. They're, you know, blowing past us, uh, and frankly, they're using a lot of this one-time stimulus that's being generated in their states to invest for the future. So our first priorities would be investing and then looking at, you know, do we need to cut taxes? Do we need to do something after that? Okay. Um, there was a poll released today by the Detroit Regional Chamber, and part of it uh, touched on the issue of when and if business leaders should speak out on major public policy issues, including uh, more contentious issues like what we've seen happen in Florida. I was curious what sort of a, what you think businesses should should be doing in that realm and kind of what kind of advice you would give to you know a CEO that's thinking about speaking out on voting rights or abortion or um, you know other other controversial uh, hot button issues you know it's it's an interesting question because I was at in Washington DC with my peers and other business roundtables around the country and this this came up multiple times and there was this sentiment that you know uh, a lot of times business leaders one have never experienced uh, uh, you know the kind of uh, animosity that has come at them from the right and the left, uh, from people who are very passionate about issues, no matter what position they take, uh, they're not used to weighing in on these social issues, issues that are not core to the business community. And so I'd say, you know, when we're talking to business leaders a about these issues, the first thing we're, we're talking to them about is, is, you know, what do you need to do for your workforce, for your employees? What do you need to do for your business operations? Because, you know, their primary purpose is, is to, you know, uh, create jobs, is to, is to invest, is to generate uh, profits and, you know, and be good community um, leaders as well. And so they need to have a discussion with their employees. They need to have a discussion with their shareholders um, and, and, and with others in their community to understand what impacts these social issues are going to have and whether, they, or whether or not they need to weigh in on it. You know, the, the thing that's, I, I think, really important is a lot of businesses are recognizing uh, that it, it may not be a great um, uh, undertaking or it may be difficult for them to weigh in more publicly on issues, but what they need to be doing is focusing on what they're doing for their employees. What kind of health care are they providing? What kind of support? What kind of uh, discussions are they having around these controversial issues that make employees feel heard? But also making sure that, 
you know, their employees and that residents, um, you know, their voices are heard in elections because ultimately most of these decisions, most of the public policy that's put in place around these issues are done so by people who are elected or appointed by elected officials. And so making sure that employees are engaged, um, you know, a lot of companies now are giving uh, election day off, for instance. They're encouraging their, their employees to vote so that, you know, their voices are heard on these particular issues where it's going to really make a difference. Uh, Jeff, any any kind of parting thoughts, uh, you know, as, as for the next couple of days, as, as you are here at the conference, uh, you know, what, what you would like to see accomplished? I think what I'd love to see accomplished from this conference and for all of us to, to really focus on this year, an election year where a lot of uh, people are going to be up for, um, uh, you know, up for votes and going to be asking voters to to send them, uh, you know, for another two to four years uh, back to Lansing and, and Washington, is that there's a focus on the issues that matter to voters, the urgency of what's needed to take on the headwinds that are facing Michigan's economy, so that in 10 years, in 20 years, we can say we haven't spoiled this opportunity with one-time dollars, with a good economy, to really make sure that Michigan's going to be on a better path, that we're going to be wealthier, that we're going to have more education, we're going to have individuals who have more opportunity than we do today. And the question I think all, every voter and every policymaker on the island today should be asking is, you know, what policies, what things could we put in place to make that easier, to make it, it easier for us to compete to win? Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region.